may be seated. If you'll take your Bibles and open them up or turn them on, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. How many of you have ever graduated from something along the way? Well, for some of you, it's been a long, long time. I was thinking the other day about what would I say to my 18 or 22-year-old self, and I thought of a few things that I would say uh, to myself if I could go back in that time. One would be, find your spiritual core. Make sure you find your spiritual core. Uh, Being the person God called you to be is foundation to everything that you do, and it's easy to get so busy doing that you forget who you are. And when we launch into a new chapter in life, we always talk about, well, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do in retirement. This is what I'm going to do when I'm going to college. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. Well, how about who are you going to be? And so let me encourage you always to cultivate that relationship with Christ every day. Practice the spiritual disciplines. Read, pray, think, listen, discover who it is that you are in Christ. Second thing that I think I'd say to my 18-year-old self is make sure you find your calling. There's a reason why you are here. You were created on purpose for a purpose, and God can use you. And he can use your life, he can use your experiences, your personality. He can use your life in meaningful and eternal ways. Being a young adult means that you have more freedom So use that freedom to discover the passions and gifts that God has given you. And then I always tell people a little side note along the way. God's calling is not going to contradict God's word. So he's not going to call you to something that is contradictory to what he's revealed in his word. Uh, Here's the third thing I would say to to myself. Push yourself. You know, adulting is hard. Don't play life at the novice level. You know, when you play the video games, you can check the difficulty level. And so, you know, it starts getting hard. You keep getting, you keep, you know, game over, game over, game up. So you turn the difficulty level down. You know, challenge yourself because the difficulty level is where you will grow and learn to do some things in life that are hard. Exercise, get up early, be on time, get a job, you know. Get a job. You, you can't just live on love, and you can't live for your parents forever. I mean, milk it as long as you can, but uh, eventually you have to move out, and uh, you need money. So don't be one of those people that says, I don't understand money. You need to understand money. Take, take time to learn what money's all about, but realize that money's not life. And realize that Netflix, YouTube, Instagram, They are windows into other people's lives, and sometimes they may be entertaining, but they're not your life, so don't live there. Fourth, I'd say be a loving person. So part of my calling in life is that I'm often there whenever people leave this life, and I've attended probably hundreds of funerals in in my ministry, and one thing that I can testify to is that when they tell your life story, they talk about your relationships, not your accomplishments. So 
to talk about the kind of person you were and how you loved and how you treated other people. So have healthy boundaries for yourself, but be willing to let people in. Enjoy love. Enjoy family. Be a friend. Now, if this were a graduation ceremony, I would close out with quoting Bob Dylan's Forever Young, and everybody would clap, and, you know, we'd throw our hats and all this. But what I'm about to tell you next, they don't tell you whenever you graduate. It's important for you to be a loving person, treat people well, keep your heart soft and open, but you will not change the world, and the world will not reward you with kindness and hugs. The kindest person who ever lived is Jesus Christ. He fed the masses, healed the blind, tried to be loving to the unlovable, and the world responded by crucifying him. When Jesus rose again, he brought salvation to the human soul. But we also have to realize that we must wait until he comes again to experience true deliverance from the fallen world. And so let's all throw our hats in the air, play a little bit of pomp and circumstance, and look at our passage for today, because I think you will find a truth in it that has the power to be life-changing in many ways. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll work through the passage and kind of lead up to where we're going to start today. Uh, But Paul is talking a little bit about the insecurities that we have in life. He's talking about the reality that God has entrusted the eternal message of the gospel to jars of clay, fragile people who have a lifespan, people that often find themselves in circumstances that are even beyond ourselves. And he says these words, for we know that if our earthly tent, for we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, We have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. So he's talking about the insecurities of this world, the realities of the limited time that we have in this world. He's talking about that sense of dread that so many of us live with, that even though things may be going well, even though you may be achieving certain milestones, there's this sense that when's it all going to come falling down upon us? And he talks about how that in reality, this world is a tent, but God has an eternal dwelling for us. He talks about this fear that we have, that somehow we will be exposed and that we, people will discover that we are unclothed and how we long to be clothed in something that is secure, something that doesn't go away, something that doesn't get... Uh, pulled out from underneath us. And then he talks about how in the realities of the injustices and darknesses that are around us in our society, sometimes we groan beneath the burdens of this life. And then he begins shifting with this thought 
that mortality has been swallowed up by life, which is a, it's a wow thought if you let your mind go around it. Our frail mortality has been swallowed up by life because Jesus took on flesh, lived in the tent that we call the human body, died for our sins, and conquered death so that we might say mortality has been swallowed up by life. So even though we live in the frail world that we are a part of, we still have an eternal dwelling and an eternal hope and a strength and a security that comes from knowing that we have a purpose from God in verse 5. And the Holy Spirit is our down payment on this reality. So in verse 6, he begins shifting the context, and he says, so we are always, always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So we don't have to live in this insecurity. We can live in this confidence. This confidence is driven by our hope that we have in God, and it calls us to live in faith day by day because there's certain things that we can't see and outcomes that we cannot control. And our influence ultimately is limited. Yet, verse 8, in fact, we are confident. And we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to what? To be pleasing to him. So all this is going on here. He's talking about insecurities, the tent, the eternal dwelling. And he talks about confidence and living in faith and not walking by and walking the, in, in faith. And, and, and then he gets to verse 10, and I'm like, whoa, where did this come from? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So suddenly he, he like jumps forward and we are in front of the judgment seat of Christ and God's looking at how we have lived our lives. And verse 10, I think, introduces a life-changing thought here. And that is one that was recorded originally in the Old Testament, that the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And that's the fifth thing I would say to my 18-year-old self. Fear the Lord. Now, Paul has survived a lot of judgment seats in his life. As a young man, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. His whole life was about following the rules. Be a good boy, Paul, and good will come to you. And this led him to become a legalist. A legalist realizes that they do not measure up, and so they feel better about themselves by tearing everybody else down. And so Paul became a persecutor. Literally, the Apostle Paul persecuted Christians. He chased them down. He would try to imprison them. Paul posed as a squeaky clean, pharisaical, nice guy, but in reality, he was an angry, manipulative, selfish oppressor. Now, a lot changed for the Apostle Paul whenever Christ saved him. Then he began seeing the world differently, and he found his purpose. And his unique calling was to take the gospel to the Gentile world. And he did it in an amazing fashion. The Apostle Paul... The Apostle Paul's coming right now, as a matter of fact. Let's all sit up straight. Yeah. Apostle Paul's here. Yeah. 
Paul started churches, wrote over half the books in the New Testament, but at the same time, he, could, he couldn't change the world. I mean, this guy did all sorts of amazing things, but he didn't change the world. And there were still hypocrites, even in the churches that he started. There were hypocrites in the church at Corinth that began attacking Paul, saying all sorts of terrible things about his character, saying that he wasn't genuine, that he wasn't real. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 about all the persecutions that he went through. Five times he was whipped. Uh, three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. He says he spent a night and a day in the open sea. He was on frequent journeys. He faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from his own people, dangers from the Gentiles. He says dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. Not to mention other things, there is daily pressure on me, his concern for all the churches. I mean, that's quite a list, isn't it? This guy, I mean, he went through some junk, right? And, and, and eventually, Paul found, would find himself before the judgment seat of the Roman Empire. If you know his story, he was sentenced to death. And this guy had done all this good stuff. Started churches, written books, ministered to people, and he winds up in front of the Roman tribune, and he is sentenced to death by beheading. But none of that, not, not even death, could stop Paul from sharing the gospel and living out his message. And he had an inescapable courage and commitment that is so striking that 2,000 years later, across the ocean, we sit in Murphy, Texas, reading his writings. So what was his secret. Well, in verse 10, he lets us in to his thinking a little bit. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your consciences. I think the secret to Paul's great life success was that he feared God and not man. He feared God and not man. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Now, I'm a Gen Xer. Any fellow Gen Xers in the crowd? Yeah, nobody knows us, right? We just kind of go under the, under the radar. Uh, like the millennials in the house, we did not grow up with fire and brimstone preaching every week, you know. We generally didn't grow up with the stately hymns. We grew up with, I can sing of your love forever. Lots and lots of skits. Gen Xers were famous for our skits. When we played Little League Baseball, we would be given participation trophies, right? And we got custom t-shirts for field day, and we got ice cream coupons for making good grades, and so this whole idea of the fear of the Lord is a little bit foreign to us, and yet at the same time, it's a vital part of your growth as a person. So what does it mean to fear God? Well, in the simplest terms, God is more powerful. He is not only loving, but he is holy. 
And so those of us who worship him need to have an understanding of his power and might that we do not take for granted and we do not become uh, so enamored with the fatherhood of God that we forget the holiness of God. But fearing God means that I live to please him. I live to please him. And I'll take it one step further. As a Christian, we ultimately live to be God-pleasers, not people-pleasers. So here's a question for you. Who are you trying to impress? Who is it that you're trying to impress? Tenth grade geometry teacher? That was 40 years ago, bro. You know, the dad that said you would never amount to anything? People in high school that you haven't seen in 20 years? That boss that doesn't really care about you? Who are you trying to impress? As long as you try to live for the applause of others, your life will be a rolling stone of dissatisfaction. And we all get them every once in a while. But when you fear God, it doesn't matter whether you have much or little. What matters is that you have given God the greatest gift you can give. You have given him the gift of you. And you're able to live for that audience of one that says, when I pillow my hat at my head at night, I want to know in my heart that I have lived to honor God. The second thing about fearing God, it means that I need to share the gospel with others. Look at verse 11. Since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people what is plain to God and I hope is also plain to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply to those who take pride in outward appearance rather than the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. So let me ask you two questions here. One, what are the opportunities in your life right now to share the gospel? What is your mission field? Where does God give you those opportunities where you could share the gospel? It might be in your neighborhood. It might be at your work. It might be at the school. It could be whenever you go to the baseball game and you sit in the bleachers and watch the grandkids play. What are the opportunities that you have in your life to share the gospel? And number two, are you actively sharing the gospel with people? Is there anyone right now in your life that you're actively working towards trying to help them take those steps towards the Lord? People that you're praying for, people that you're concerned about because you want to build into them spiritually and see them come alive in Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you in this, to be someone that actively shares the gospel of Christ and look for those opportunities in your world to pray for people and to meet people at their point of need and to take that step of sharing the message of Christ with them. Here's the third thing. Fearing the Lord means I can't live without him. I can't live without the Lord. The other night, uh, I think it was Friday night, 
My family went to the Frisco Rough Riders game. How many of you guys were there? There was about 20 of us there at the game, yeah. And uh, so the Frisco Rough Riders were playing the Amarillo Sod Poodles. The Amarillo Sod Poodles. Uh, you proud of me, Brent? Yeah, Brent, 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 Brent owes me lunch now because he said, Les, do you think you can rework Sod Poodles into your sermon? I said, I think I, think I can. I think I can take that challenge right there. So right before the game starts, there's this massive hailstorm, and there's a two-hour rain delay. And whenever we got there, the field looked like a sod puddle. And so we're sitting there waiting for the game to start, and my 10-year-old Bennett looks at me and says, Dad, I need nachos. I'm dying here, Dad. Dad. I can't live without nachos. I'm like trying to hold them off. Son, son, we like our house. If we buy those nachos, we may be homeless, you know. But he's like, Dad, I love stale chips and processed artificial cheese topping. I've got to have those $9 nachos. I can't live without them, Dad. I'm not going to make it. I eventually got him nachos, but... We did negotiate that he had to put a 30% buy-in, so, you know, there you go. So be praying for him. That was his whole week's allowance probably. But there's a lot of things in life you can live without, but you really can't live without God. You can't live without him. And when we think about that fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, that whole idea of I can't live without him. The more we know God, the more we love him, the more terrifying it becomes to think of living one moment of life apart from the presence of God in our lives. I've been a follower of Christ for 46 years now. There have been times I've been disappointed by other followers of There are days when I'm not okay. There are days when fear gets the best of me, anxiety, stress, where I don't respond in the way that I want to respond. There are days where the responsibilities become burdensome. There's times where people move into your life and you think they're going to be there a long time and they're not. And you find this reality of the dance floor that is your life where there's people that come in and and go out and it seems like the only constant is sadness. But there is one who never leaves me nor forsakes me. There is one who never changes. There is one who guides me daily on the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God is the one. He is the foundation. And I tremble to think of life without him. And I thank God that I can live each day with him and that his love for me is not dependent upon my mood. His love for me is not dependent upon my performance. His love for me has been extended unconditionally and secured through the blood of Christ. And so I can live with that healthy relationship that we have with God and live for that audience of one. Do you know God today?
Has there ever been a time in your life where you've truly surrendered your heart to him and experienced the love that only he can bring? He wants you to know him. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please? There's never been that time in your life where you've truly given your heart to the Lord. I want to invite you to make this your moment. Just call out to God right where you are and give your heart to him. Say, Elijah, I don't know what to say. I, you might say something like this. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner and I ask forgiveness for the things that I've done. And right here in this church, I'm placing my faith in Jesus Christ trusting in him as my Lord and as my Savior. And I'm asking you to save me because I want to know you. And when I want to live with you and to be your child forever and ever. If this is your moment, this is a holy moment. Just imagine yourself placing your faith totally in Christ. Seal this moment in your memory. Remember where you're sitting, who you're sitting by. Remember how the Holy Spirit is working in your heart right now. Because this is your moment of salvation. And I want to encourage you to take that next step and tell somebody. Tell me, I'll be here at the front during this next song and after the service. Find somebody in your life that you know walks with the Lord. Tell them, when, when Pastor Lash prayed today, I, I trusted in Christ. They'll rejoice with you. They'll be excited. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the goodness of this day. We thank you, Father, for those that are finding themselves at these pivotal points in life, where they're graduating high school or Perhaps there's other major life decisions that are going on. We pray, Father, for wisdom. We pray that you will give us courage where we do not cower from the challenges of life, but we move forward in faith. I pray, Lord, that we might understand that a fear of you is the beginning of all wisdom because in that holy fear we begin to realize that we are not God, that you are greater than we are, and there are circumstances beyond us. But we do not have to be swallowed up by that because mortality has been swallowed up by eternal life. And so we can live our lives in faith and take those next steps, even though we can't control the outcome or necessarily see what's ahead. But we can look at you and trust you. I pray, Father, that you'll take these truths today May they settle deep within our hearts, calm our fears, and allow us to take those next steps of faith, trusting you. It's in Christ's name and the people of God said, feel free to continue praying, to stand and sing with the band. If there's someone you want to pray with, feel free to go.